Hi, and welcome to the new season of IndieWire's Filmmaker Toolkit podcast, where we get a chance to talk about craft and process with some of our favorite filmmakers. I'm Chris Ofalt, editor of the Toolkit at IndieWire, and because it is also Emmy nomination season, I will be doing detouring into TV over the next few weeks. I'm heading out to LA. I'm going to talk to creators behind a bunch of great shows, Dear White People, uh, Atlanta, Barry, uh, The Shy, um, just a bunch of great stuff on TV that's happening, but it's also May and we're halfway through the year and already we've seen a handful of what is most certainly going to be amongst the best films of the year 2018, one of which is without a doubt The Rider, which was directed by my guest today, Chloe Zhao. It's the story of a young rodeo cowboy living on a reservation in South Dakota who, after suffering a major brain injury, struggles with his identity. Uh, it's based on the real life of Brady Jandrew, who stars in the film along with his family and friends, his real-life family and friends, and uh, it's really a film made up of almost entirely, I think entirely, first-time performers. And Barry Jenkins described the writer as having existed on this kind of higher plane. He said, ravishing sublime imagery paired with deeply earnest storytelling should be hung in a gallery and savored. No one could have made that film. No one. And I couldn't agree more. Chloe is definitely one of... Uh, the most exciting new filmmakers we have today. And uh, I got a chance to talk to her a few weeks ago when the film just went into limited release. Today, Friday the 18th, it expands. Uh, it's gonna be, a, I believe, a, a pretty much in every major city in the US, so definitely check it out. Here's my conversation with Chloe. Presnuts, you grew up in Beijing, you mm -hmm. went to Mount Holyoke, uh, NYU Film School. How, how did you discover these, uh, this world out in South Dakota and these people in Brady? Yeah, so I made an, uh, my first film on the reservation in South Dakota called Songs My Brothers Taught Me. Um, <coughs> and um, after that film was finished, I kept going back to visit. And that's where I met Brady, on, on the, in the basement of a ranch. So. Mm -hmm. And that film was your first film, um, uh, Songs My Brothers Taught Me. Mm -hmm. But I mean, how did you end up even filming going that? There? Yeah, oh, filming yeah. there and filming that. Um, well, I was living in New York for about eight, nine years, and I was in my late 20s. And uh, I was trying to figure out what the next step in life is. And, and I wanted to, I definitely knew I wanted to go somewhere that's not a city. I wanted to um, go somewhere the pacing of life is different. Mm -hmm. Just completely um, can take me out of my comfort zone. Uh, and South Dakota is definitely a place like <laughs> that. And at the time, uh, there was a lot of news report on struggles young people go through on the reservation. Uh, and I, I was curious about that as well. You know, I, I studied American politics for my undergraduate degree. So a couple of things just combined and I took a trip out there. And the Badlands is the kind of place whether you really love it mm -hmm. or it's really not for you. <laughs> It polarized people, and, and I really loved it. And, so, yeah. and, and I think they're what they're called, the Lakota Cowboys. Yeah. It's, kinda, the, it's interesting to me, because I would, I, I would look at Brady, and I'm looking at the poster right now, mm -hmm. I, I, would, I would say he's white. There's, there's um, what is the kind of cultural background? Because this is on a, a Native American reservation, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Um, well, they also call themselves Indian Cowboys, mm -hmm. you know, and there's a word that's kind of complicated. and. Um, but it's kind know, of a loaded thing, right? It's, like it's it a loaded thing, you know, and then the, the Brady, but you know, I can only, my references no longer come from a New York perspective, it's more how local people will mm. speak, you know. 
Um, and in the jacket he's wearing uh, in the film, it says Indian National Finals. That's where Brady compete and where all the Indian cowboys across the country will come compete in Vegas in November. Mm -hmm. It's a huge subculture. Mm -hmm. uh, many of them wear uh, a feather in their hat to separate them from, uh, you know, non-Indian non cowboys. I, um, you know, it's just a great American contradiction, uh, and I think we simplify things to see is cowboy versus Indians. Mm -hmm. But in reality, these two people share, these two cultures share a very similar way of life. It was just close to nature and work with animals um, and have a relationship with the land. So despite all the tragedy and the violence that's come in the past, in the dark part of the history, there's also a uh, coming together, living by each other and with each other and marrying each other. And, and these, when you go to the reservation today, you're gonna see all different skin tones. Um, I would say probably a third of them will look like Brady. Mm -hmm. um, and um, I wanted to show that because we tend to generalize Native Americans, mm -hmm. how they should look. And we can probably do that in the past to a certain degree, but today yeah, is yeah. not right. Yeah. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, songs, they were mostly first time performers as well, right? Yes, I did have three, um, uh, actresses mm -hmm. that has some experience. Uh, one's Irene Badar, who's a very experienced mm -hmm. and accomplished Native American actress. And then there's a young actress, Taisha, from First Nations in Canada. And then there's uh, Atlanta Hendricks, who's who's white and she's from New York. And, mm -hmm. and she, yeah. But it's largely taking people that are from the area and mm -hmm. using them and using and using yeah. this, right? So I, I'm curious. Um, you know, songs is songs is a great film. Um, but I'm wondering, what did you take from that experience? How did that inform, you know, this film? I mean, beyond your experience of having been there, and, and, yeah. I, and I, I know, you know, there's that rodeo scene in songs, and clearly mm -hmm. that's where you, you met these people. But I'm wondering, you know, from a filmmaking standpoint and a story standpoint, this is going in, you're turning up the dial almost mm -hmm. completely all non-professional. It's a very personal story to Brady. Mm -hmm. it's, it's his life. Wondering both from a forming a story, but also as a director, what, what you know, what kind of went from one to two? Well, that's a, I think that's a really good question because the songs was also a, a, a really difficult time when I was trying to figure out who I am, what kind of filmmaker I am, mm -hmm. what kind of films that you had a different title, you know, I had a 30 draft of a script that are very conventional. And the plan was to, to cast um, these young people to play these versions that I've written for them. And I think there was a lot of things just happened, I guess, for a reason. You know, it was a really difficult time in independent film. Mm. Try to, I don't know, it was just what, like 2010 to 13? Oh, okay, because it was at Sundance 2015, but I guess, yeah. obviously, the story so we of Yeah, so we shot uh, the film at 2013. Okay. And tried to, been trying to make it for the th three years. The three years, Since, right, like, 2009, 10, yeah. and that was a rough time. Right. For everybody, you know. Um, and to try to make a film without non-actors non about kids on the reservation, no, it's not a genre film. <laughs> At that time, it's like, what? <laughs> You're not gonna get money for that, and we didn't, you know? So we ended up shooting the film with grants and very little bit of investment. And, and I had to let go of that script and shoot with the treatment. And then again, but I couldn't let go how big I wanted that movie to be. You know, I had a lot of expectation of what the first film was, a lot of pressure, and um, so I still tried to do so much 
I was overly um, ambitious with, a, with not enough skills or uh, support. So we ended up with like 100 hours of footage and, and a lot of stuff, but not deep enough. Mm -hmm. You know, I didn't feel like I, I give even just my cast enough time to just be able to have a scene that they can really um, go deep. But it was wide. And, and so the film in the editing room was saved, I guess, to a certain extent, trying to become a film about a place. Mm -hmm. um, and, and then I, I just felt like I have unfinished business. So I didn't want to just move on, move to LA and, and New York and go back to New York. I just, so I moved to Denver mm -hmm. and I, I was looking for somebody and I was looking for somebody that I could go deep with. Mm -hmm. And when I met Brady, it became very clear. It's an incredibly complex uh, psychological thing that Brady's going through, mm -hmm. but it's, it's, it's a very narrow way in mm -hmm. and it's, it's like almost all those things that you want to do with space and, and the place and, and being there is, is through a much more simple kind of boiled down mm -hmm. lens. Is that, is that part of this? Is that you can kind of do everything through a, a more narrow entry, which is kind of what he was psychologically going through right there? So I, I wasn't thinking that way, but I think it's intuitive. And also I knew I had less resources making this film than, than my first mm -hmm. one. Less crew, less money. So I knew that I needed to keep it very small. Mm -hmm. um, and also like I, I, I did find that when you're being very specific, that's when it become very universal. So I think it worked out that way. Yeah. And and what about what Brady was going through? Like, what point at, I, I believe you had probably met him before the mm -hmm. injury yeah. and then met him later. I mean, what, at what point was the, was the idea of um, a story and building something around him, Kim? So I met him a year before the injury. The injury happened in April 2016. And I saw him in early June. And we chatted about, oh, so what are we going to do about the movie? Probably not making one. And then. He, but he was back riding horses already, breaking wild horses. So we talked about why he chose to do that. And just, just so it's clear that one of the things that's set up right is, is that in the beginning of the movie is just the head injury is so massive that he can't, oh, he, yeah, he, he should can. not be. I just want, just for context, <laughs> sure. it's like he, this is a, anytime he's getting on a horse or trying to do any of this stuff, yeah. he's taking his life into his, his hands. In real life, yeah. as well as in the movie. Mm -hmm. So I was very kind of like, why you know, doing this? And he explained it in a very poetic way. He actually talked about Apollo, who in real life had to be put down. And he compared himself with a horse, which that, those sentences made it into the film. And it was literally right after he said those lines to me about if any animals around here got hurt like I did, mm -hmm. they would have to be put down. You know, I'm, I'm kept alive because I'm human. That's not enough. You know? I was like, oh, OK, wait, 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 let me write that down. I think we have a film. Because it's very clear what the struggle, and I was looking for a simple story. And what about your experience working with first-time um, actors? You know, Brady has an incredible quality up on screen, mm -hmm. and this is a. And the other thing that's interesting about this is this is a very internal performance, which is not you know sometimes with first first-time non-professional actors, that's not something you're looking for. Is is and obviously you're helping with the landscape and your visual storytelling to kind of access that interior. But, but is there an element from your experience where there was just something about him that's so dynamic or there's something about his face? Or I mean, I mean, obviously the proof is in the pudding, it worked, but I'm wondering mm -hmm. how you see 
you know, this kind of quietish 20-something <laughs> and see, hey, he can anchor a movie beyond his story. Well, first of all, he, in real life, he's not a quiet person. He's very happy-go-lucky. He's very talkative. I had a beer with him when he was in for New York in, in uh, the fall. Yeah, <laughs> you must have saw a very talkative side of him. Um, yeah, so he's not like, you know, the joke is that the Brady Blackburn is more somber. Brady Ginger isn't, you know, he's, he's always like the happy kid, trying yeah. to make everybody laugh and stuff. So what, when I first saw him, I, I didn't speak to him. I just, what was, what, I was in the basement and he walked in and I just, immediately thought that what a great face and mm -hmm. I knew the camera's gonna love his face but then um, I think it's, there's not much difference the way I look at actors and non-actors um, because to me there could be you know the, the way to discover a great actor that once upon a time used to be someone that you meet oh wow can you, maybe you should add and these days it's a little bit more like people go to school for it and stuff um, There's a million people trying to get into a funnel. Trying to get uh, into that, and they just kind of feel like how that they should behave. But there was a time some of our greatest actors were discovered, while you know, just like Brady. Mm -hmm. and so I saw an ability, and I saw the way he was training horses, and that kind of sharp focus to be able to be completely present uh, with an animal who's being distracted, and and to and then to have some somebody like me talking to him, watching him with a, with an iPhone filming him but just that sharp focus and, and to be able to communicate with, with an animal and, and gain their trust is the kind of presence I was looking for in actors, or professional or non-professional, to be able to be on set and, and give me those spontaneous moments because they're, they're completely present and not thinking about a script or anything. And mm -hmm. I thought, if you can do that to a horse, that's wild. Maybe you could do it with other people and, and the audience. And I was very lucky he turned out he could. And the other thing about this is obviously you're using the landscape here. You talked about wanting to capture something about a place mm -hmm. and a lot of that. I mean, there is a setting here that's very stunning, but it kind of serves a larger narrative purpose mm -hmm. for you. There's, you know, I, I can only speak from personal experience, which is, you know, growing up in, in the Northeast, mm -hmm. there's an element of I'm used to like a Where 60. Well, I mean, I live in New York now, but also in Connecticut and kind of a more wooded area. But, you know, you have like 60 percent of the sky mm -hmm. and you go out there and there's that element of first off, just mm -hmm. an openness. But there there, there seemed to be something um, that feels very spiritual to me. But there's something that you seem to very specifically be trying to get about that landscape as it relates to telling Brady's story. I wonder if you talk about that a little bit. I'm all, always trying to be more clear and better at expressing it. It might not come across mm -hmm. yet, maybe <laughs> probably in the next film or more. Mm -hmm. But I'm always trying to show how not romantic that mm -hmm. landscape is. And um, <coughs> in, in the sense that, you know, when, you, when I used to drive from New York to, to South Dakota, and when you, pa when you pass Minnesota, when you get into South Dakota, it just it opens up. It also gives you an, an uneasy feeling to a certain extent. If the, if the weather is great, it's great. But when mm -hmm. the weather is bad, there's nowhere to hide, you know. Um, and um, you really feel like you're completely exposed to nature and you're at its mercy. And that's not something you feel sitting in this room in New York. Mm -hmm. You feel very protected. You feel like you're above it, you know. Um, so <coughs> I wanted to show... And, I, and, you know, I try to not have landscape without, too much landscape without people in it. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm trying to show, like, how 
small and humbling it is to be out there. And that informs their choices and their way of life. And you also did, I mean, you absolutely did that, but there's also this other thing where it's like um, kind of building off that. If you feel that the, these characters are surviving, that there's a sense of survival, that there's death around mm -hmm. them, and that yeah. in that way, I mean, you were talking about- Because nature is like that. Yeah. You know, if you look at nature in a non-romantic lens, there's as much of death as birth. And then when you live on a ranch, you really see that on day to day. Mm -hmm. You see the death of an animal. We don't. We go to the grocery store mm -hmm. for our meat. You know, yeah, people are, people are, there's a rabbit <coughs> scene, which I think is yeah. just, a, just a matter, just a rather matter of a fact thing, which I think for a lot of people is like, whoa. Yeah, but then when they go to a French restaurant, they get a rabbit stew, <laughs> they don't think that. You know, because Brady will go fishing, hunting. Mm -hmm. That's how he would um, feed himself sometimes, you know, not most, like half of the times probably. And that's really nice to see for young people because also just on a personal level, I think these young people on the reservation, especially this generation, was the first generation to have social media. Mm. And there's a lot of pro to that, but there's a, they also are exposed to a w worlds that they can't have access to, sometimes forgetting that there are great things in their own backyard um, and seeing a young person who really used the land and be very happy living with it is very encouraging. Is there an element of, um, while you're, you're mapping this out, also, as you're telling the story with landscape, staging <coughs> scenes, different moments against specific backdrops? Or, or did you go more natural, well, this is where Brady would go and train horses, this is where Brady would go and hunt, this is where what the Apollo scene. Or is there really a, a concerted effort? Obviously, there's a concerted effort on your part in terms mm -hmm. of the compositions, yeah. but uh, uh, also just actually like almost casting certain scenes against a landscape. The landscape is probably um, like 20% of the conversation thinking, but, mm. but where the sun is and the time of the day is mm. a bigger conversation because the landscape changes dramatically out there. Mm. Depends on what the sun, what the day, the, the badlands will have a different color on a bright day and uh, on a cloudy day and in, and in magic hour, in pre-magic hour and in true magic hour, you know, so. Um, a lot of that, because you know the Badlands is very expansive. You know, you look that way, it's going to look the same standing mm -hmm. here and then a mile that way. And the corral is already set there, so we're shooting in that corral. There's mm -hmm. no question. But in the back is the same. The plains, you know, it, it's you have hills, but it's not. So we our conversation more wrapped around <laughs> like what time of the day we're going to have to catch this little moment. When is it cloudy? That cloud is coming. Mm -hmm. And that, it's the same cinematographer, right? And you're working yeah. with um, a, a pretty bare bones crew. Like I mean, this is essentially you're really, you're really picking the exact time of day because you don't, you're not shaping light. We don't have lights. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I, all the lights came out of um, Menards and Walmart's. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Same thing for the interiors in that sense. I mean, obviously sometimes mm -hmm. you're it, there's a colored light or there's there there is you're using the fractals inside, but there, there's and there was a little bit of a sense of this also in, in your first film. I, using natural light indoors as well, like mm -hmm. kind of like that sense. Uh, maybe that's the way it's being lit, but that idea that um, that light that's outside is really shaping the inside as well. Yeah, um, the, there's a it's a conscious choice for for the writer and songs um, to make the interior because when you're out there on the plains, you don't have the trees to block the shade. Mm -hmm. You know, it's very bright outside. And when you go inside, people tend to have, it's quite dark inside, they have curtains, and, and mm -hmm. there's also such a separation between um, uh, these, you know, government housing 
uh, are quite run down and they're designed to be not that you don't feel any kind of life in it. Mm -hmm. And then you go outside, you have that. So that contrast is the kind of struggle for you know Native Americans will down to take away from their their connection away uh, that they have from land away from them and institutionalize them, and that you really can see that by the way they live today mm -hmm. in these houses. And then we really want to capture that. And for a young person to, to, to switch between these two is quite confusing. That's why we used, you know, more like colors you don't usually find in nature, because mm -hmm. um, they're ex exaggerated, not made inside. Mm -hmm. For the writer, we, we, we went a little bit more stylistic than we did with songs. And what about, there's, um, I think I'm right about this, there's three scenes, I don't want to ruin this because some of it's at the end of the movie, but there, there, there's three okay. scenes where um, it is shot differently. Mm -hmm. It is, a, it is a, it, he's on his horse, there's a sense of moving. Um, it is a conscious choice, there's not a lot of music in the film, there's mm -hmm. specifically using music there. Um, I, I, obviously the last one and towards the end, I mean, I don't want you to talk you know, about you know, what you're trying to touch in there, but I mean, there's clearly these moments where you're trying to kind of visually and cinematically trigger something different, this sense of, mm -hmm. of him on a horse and... Yeah. For sure, like, and also just from earlier, you know, the, your question that to, to give that 360 uh, freedom mm -hmm. to the actors as well is super important with minimal lights mm -hmm. set up. Um, <coughs> like that scene when he first get on the horse, like this is the first time the character, after not be able to ride since the injury, to be able to get back on his favorite horse. Um, and that we, I mean, it's a minute and a half long scene, but it took us three days to shoot. And with that 20 minutes of magic hour, true <laughs> magic hour, <coughs> because I really want people to understand what that must be like. It could just be a Brady's daily lives to walk out, you know, at five in the morning as the sun's coming out in the Badlands and, and to get on this great buckskin horse and to ride across the prairie. And that is a feeling you can't really, uh, you know, you just can't, it's, it, even in the film, I mean, that's as much as I can push with mm -hmm. music and stuff. But that, you know, I wanted to, to immerse the audience in there so that they can understand why he chose that mm -hmm. way of life, not just stubborn and want to be a man. It's much more beyond that. And so, it's for, you know, when you have a small crew and when you make a film cheaply, you have the freedom to say, I want to shoot this a minute and a half scene <laughs> in, in three days, you know? Mm -hmm. <laughs> so. There is also, in that sense, that those moments are, you know, stand out versus the kind of wider, a diminutive set against this landscape. There's, there's also this feeling that, as Brady's facing this, that there's also this like disappearance of a way of life, mm -hmm. which really comes through in the story um, with yeah. the father. And I'm curious about that. Is that it, it strikes me that they must have just been so honest and so open with you, because in that, to create that contrast, to create that foil with the the father character, mm -hmm. who's wonderful, um, there's a little bit of some real kind of you know, there's some uncomfortable things about their lives. There's some things about uh, mistakes that the fathers made. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that's stuff that was narratively made up or if that's stuff that's, that, that, that comes from, from, real, from their, their life. But it seems like um, that was narratively important, but I'm wondering, navigating that aspect of mm -hmm. it in, since these are these people's lives. Yeah, um, I, you know, Tim, who plays Wayne, uh, Brady's father, probably, it's, he's definitely a better father than he is in the film. Mm -hmm. um, and everybody, you know, like, like 
all of us, we make mistakes in life. And, and I will ask him what he's comfortable. I tell him, this is what your character is going to be like. And are you okay? No, I don't care. <laughs> because I'm, this is what I like about fiction, you know, people say, why don't you just make a documentary about Brady? And, and they really wanted to capture this, this, these emotions that, that can convey what's going on even more than just the fact. So to be able to use fiction, to be able to change some of these facts, you know, factual stuff, and to emphasize on things. Mm -hmm. uh, it's very, very important, and also to allow them, especially people who are playing versions of themselves, to have the, the protection, mm -hmm. to be able to sometimes be themselves more than they, 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 they feel comfortable, but knowing that they're hiding behind a uh, fiction form mm -hmm. is very good for me. Yeah. All right, last one for me, uh, just <coughs> this aspect of this mode of storytelling. Um, there's obviously a long tradition of it, and you're, yeah. you're I mean, it, the, the, the writer is, a, I, I like songs. The writer is, is, is a wonderful, wonderful you. film, and you've clearly, you've clearly found something with it. I'm wondering, is this a mode of storytelling that, this, that you see yourself going forward with? I mean, I think you finished this film almost a year ago, so I'm mm -hmm. maybe you're already moving forward with other projects, or is the idea of going a more traditional casting route and, and, and writing scripts that aren't based on the characters' lives? I mean, is yeah. that, how do you see yourself moving forward as a filmmaker? Um, I have a couple of projects, and, and the uh, majority of them set either in the 1800 or like 3,000 years in the future. Okay, so, so I can't cast real people because <laughs> they're dead or they're not born yet. Um, but I would like to take how I work, w this, the way I worked with um, Brady and what I've learned from the past two films, because again, I don't try to see that definitive um, separation between uh, an actor and a non-actor. You can work with an actor a certain way. You can create an environment like someone like Terrence Malick is always down. Mm -hmm. So your actor can, can give you very similar thing you get from the non-actors. Are, so. are you close on any of those? Hmm? Are you close on any of those projects? Or is that they're all in the way? Maybe I'll shoot something by the end of the year. But <laughs> maybe. Thank you, Chloe. Thank you. Just, just, it's why by May, May 14th, am I right about that? Yes. Okay. All right. Yeah. Um, okay. Thank you, Chloe. And by the way, the music for this podcast is by Nathan Halpern, who is Chloe's uh, uh, composer, composer for this movie. Composer. Yes. Yeah, all right. Thank you, Chloe. Thank you.